And to her was granted everything that's received. All right, welcome back, everyone, for week two of Top Hill Recording. Sitting here tonight again with Neil. What's up, Neil? What's up, buddy? How's your week going? It's great, man. Christmas week. I'm off this week. It cannot be any better. Yeah, can't get better than that. Heck no. And we also have with us tonight Ron Weston, a.k.a. Dad to me. <laughs> What's going on, Pops? How you doing, son? Good, good. So uh, first thing we wanted to do tonight, we wanted to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. We uh, we are pleasantly surprised with the listens we have. You know, it's uh, real time been two days since we uh, since we published it. Our goal is to do this every week, but, you know, don't hold us to that. It's not a contract, but that's, <laughs> that's what we want to try to do. Pretty killer, man. Got a lot of, a lot of feedback, a lot of personal feedback from, you know, one-on-one stuff, not, not uh, necessarily emails or, you know, thousands of listens or anything, but really, really cool that as many people listened as, as they did um, and to get some type of general feedback and, and good feedback. I don't know if it was because we asked them to be gentle that they were gentle, but <laughs> anyway, they were. So it was awesome. You know, so uh, one thing we heard quite a bit was people enjoyed the stories and uh, hear, hearing about about music. Uh, so you know, we've talked a little bit since uh, taking the feedback we got, and we think we want to broaden our broaden our base and spread our wings a little bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> open this up to more listeners and not get too technical. Have a good balance. So we uh, we changed our podcast description a little bit to uh, talk about live music, songwriting, and recording, or just loving music. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think that. That is when last week it was just really easy and fun, and uh, I'm, I've told you since last week I'm still blown away that I didn't know you didn't play guitar until you're 26 years old. That <laughs> blows my mind. Still blows my mind. But then, after I mentioned that, you're like, "Well, I did play trumpet." Mm-hmm. You know, something else I don't know. So I mean, that's just even another uh, thing to talk about when we get into talking, you know, discovering all that stuff. But it's just cool. To, to learn more and, and to kind of understand, oh, I get it. I, I, now I kind of see where you're coming from on some of the stuff you've done and written, and it was a lot of fun to learn that stuff. So I can hear your ice cubes jingling. Jingle, jingle. <laughs> yeah. That's, so, a, that's, another, yeah. Uh, that's another bit of feedback we got. Uh, you know, I was surprised how many people mentioned the uh, little five-minute bourbon chat that we had at the end of the first podcast. So another thing that we decided to do, we're going to sip a different bourbon every week and talk about what we what we have during the podcast. So tonight, Neil brought a bourbon he likes. What would you bring, Neil? Well, here's the thing. This is uh, not necessarily a bourbon I like, but this was a gift from one of my uh, people on the route the other day. So I've got some Makers 46, and I brought it. And, it, and as soon as I walked through the door... Your dad grabbed it and went, huh, Maker's 46. And you looked at it and went, that's another story. Yeah. Went, what do you mean? What do you mean that's another story? And then so as soon as you said that, well, we played the Maker's Ball or whatever it is, I, we just stopped talking about it because let's talk about it. Okay. All right. So All right. Maker's is, is of course, one of the, I think, one of the finest Kentucky bourbons there is. And you guys, as Ode to the New, mm-hmm. which we didn't really get into Ode to the New last week at all. So first explain uh, who Ode to the New is because your dad, Ron, over here, sorry about kicking the table, everybody, uh, <laughs> is part of that as well, which leads into all of this. So who's in Ode to the New? When did that start? What was going on with that? 
Before you get started, I want I missed saying thanks for having me, Neil. Hi, buddy. How you doing? Hi, Ron. I said hello, son. I didn't say that. I should have said yeah. Hi, Dad. I didn't say that. I'm sorry. So till till the end of the time, you'll always be the first guest on Top Hill Recording Podcast. Hey, that's an honor. Hey, that's I a real honor. You have to be determined if it's an honor. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out shortly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Nobody can ever take that from you. No. That's right. Being the first. <laughs> so, Old to the New, was, what was that, about 2010? I think we started in 2010, yeah. Actually, uh, a couple of us started jamming. I think you and Toy and myself and my older brother, your uncle, uh, Butch. Yeah. Uh, Butch, a.k.a. Andy, Andy Weston, Weston, as referred to last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we would uh, jam in the basement, and then uh, and I'll let you tell the story of how you hooked uh, toy in. Yeah, I was going to say, Toy wasn't part of that, uh, those initial jam sessions. It was just me, you, and Uncle Butch. And we talked about Uncle Butch a little last week. And maybe you know, where does Butch come from? <laughs> <laughs> All I know is uh, as soon as I could understand, he was called Butch. So, really? Yeah. Okay. He's so, just Butch. Uh, probably Pop. You know, probably nicknamed him Butch. He's known by his, uh, all the high school people as Butch. But when he got into music and going out, it was Andy. Yeah, it seems like everyone calls him Andy, you know, when so, you're talking in the music world. So we were jamming in the basement, and it was, it was me, Dad, and Uncle, and decided we wanted to start playing music live again. So Toy taught school where I was principal, and I just invited him over for a jam session. Did that one or two times, and then, you know, I just let him know the news. He was part of a band. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best way to get a player, man. Hey, by the way, we got a gig coming up. Uh, what do you mean, we got a gig? Yeah, you're, you didn't know? Yeah. You're in the band, man. You made it. Those were tryouts. <laughs> we didn't want to tell you. We, we didn't want you to be nervous, Toy. <laughs> yeah. So, so then we had three guitarists. Uh, actually, four guitarists, if you count the bass. And then we brought in, uh, we needed a drummer, and my cousin Lee, who we talked about last week with, with SOL, he was, he was at a point in his life, he just couldn't commit, he was working a lot of hours. So I called a, a friend of mine from high school that I hadn't talked to for years, David Reed. He's played, he's played music in Louisville for a long time. He, he plays with Out of the Woodwork now. Asked him to come on, and he's just one of those guys. If if you invite him to come play music, he's going to be there. If he's, he a, he's a he's a music yeah, lover. Yeah, huh? he just plays all the time. So we had a drummer, and then I'm trying to remember Larry Bond. You know, it's the interesting thing about Larry. We never call him Larry. It's always Larry Bond. <laughs> he's, the man, he's the man with two names. The Larry Bond. Bond. Yeah. It doesn't sound right just saying Larry. I know you don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. It has to be Larry Bond. So but, Larry Bond way, was a friend of yours. Did we mention Toy's last name? Liu. Right. Yeah, yeah, Toy Liu. I think he's the only one ever, though. How many toys do you know? I don't know any toys. I bet if you look him up on Google, he's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. <laughs> you were working in Frankfurt with Larry at the time, right? Yeah. You mean Larry Bond? Larry Bond. Okay. Yep. Well, if you remember, uh, we agreed to play at the, uh, the local fair, and... Uh, he came out, I, I mentioned to him that we were going to play, so he and a couple of friends from Frankfurt came out, and he said he sat there and he watched watched us play, and he looked at me, and 
He looked, thought about himself, and he said, if that old codger can play, I can play. <laughs> so he, he approached us after the, the gig at night, and he said, I want to I be part of that band. And uh, you may have met. He said, what do you need? And you said, do you play congas? And he said, yes. <laughs> and the next day he went out and purchased like $1,500 worth of congas. So Larry Bond, he was in a band in what the 60s 50s yeah. or 60s yeah uh, pretty pretty well known band and uh he was down around uh western part of kentucky uh he was on the uh clark what was his name dick clark, dick clark american bandstand no uh, they had they used hey. to have different regional uh groups that played dick clark group did and he was part of that okay, okay. but cool. i can't i can't think of the name of it the name of his band? Yeah. I think it was the Misfits. Yeah, that's it. Misfit. Now, like it. There's been a lot, of, been misfits. A lot of misfits. And he, yeah. he was a drummer, right? Yes, he was, started as a drummer, and then it ended up being a, a lead singer for okay. the Misfits. So then we pulled in, we decided we wanted uh, keyboards, and we pulled in Greg Hyman, and uh, we had a, what, a seven-piece band? Seven-piece band, and... Uh, once we got them all together, we started thinking about all the experience. I'll tell you what, man, and it's real easy to get seven-piece band together for a practice. <laughs> you know, man, have y'all had a full practice yet? That's kind of what, that's kind of what happened at the end. That's the way it always yeah, happens, man. You know, and uh, if you don't have the whole band, it's hard to get ready. And, you know, it's, so, so old to the new, you know, we started out, we played a local fair. Uh, we did some bars, and you know we talked about that last oh, week. Yeah. Playing till two or three in the morning, but man, we uh, we had a, a ball. And the second time we played out there at uh, the bar on St. Andrews. When the St. Andrews? Oh, okay. Oh, Easy's. Yeah. The yeah. second time we played at Easy's yeah, was Easy's. was a blast. You know that, that's something we need to that's the, we need to talk about. What is the most memorable? gigs that you've played because that's i've got two and that's that's the bar gig that stands out because people were lined up waiting to get in and the fire marshal wouldn't let them in (laughs) he he came in and made people move out and uh it it was a it was a blast that was that might have been our last bar gig i think it was so i think that was so you went from the the fair up fair and then started doing some bar stuff and uh, you guys had some pretty cool gigs as a band. Um, where did you get the hookup for the Maker's Mark gig? Where did that come in? Did that come from somebody seeing you at a show, or was it one of those bigger gigs that somebody saw you at? Or how, how did that one come about? Well, when we started uh, at that time, I worked in Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, Larry Bond also worked in Frankfurt. <clears throat> so a lot of our friends came out. Uh, when we played, they came to Easy's and a uh, few of the other. Pl- well, like I mentioned, they came to the fair, and they really enjoyed our music. So when, they a matter start- of fact, I just I just remembered uh, Mayor Greg Fisher, Mayor of Louisville, came to Easy's that yeah, night. Yeah, with his mom and dad that <laughs> night. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So he 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 just he couldn't believe how much fun it was. And matter of fact, there for about two years, Mayor Fisher was kind of like. Uh, 
our main manager, man, he would get up and introduce us at every gig we had. That's not a bad uh, bad thing at all to happen. Hey, uh, yeah, mayor of the city wants to get up on stage and introduce us. Is that okay? So our drummer, David Reed, he has a picture after we played down at the waterfront, and the mayor was helping him carry his drums back <laughs> back to the van. So the mayor was our, our roadie, and uh, David has a picture of that somewhere. Oh, that was pretty cool. He's, he, he was a... Uh, he was a great fan. Oh, I bet he thought he uh, he won something that day, man. I mean, the mayor's carrying the stuff. But he they, even got the kick drum, man. That's the he- the heavy stuff. But to answer your question, uh, the people that was the maker of smart people, well, they were working with some people in the government, and they mentioned to the main guy at Maker's Mark and said, "Man, we have a band that you need to have out there." So we got a a good referral from them, and then. Uh, they sent their people to talk to us, and Larry Bond. Larry Bond. He's uh, he's the one that kind of iced it over and got us in there. So it was a heck of a gig. It was I think it was called something. It was during the presidential campaigns. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a Maker's Mark cocktail party. There, that's Boom. what it was. Yeah. So they had they had those commercials with the, uh, the bald guy, uh, Car Carville. Carvel, Car- yeah, uh, yeah, James Carvel, James yeah. Carvel, yeah. yeah. So he, yeah. he's a Louisiana, yeah, Louisiana, yeah. He's a yeah. gentleman, yeah. yeah. So he did the Maker's Mark commercials, but yeah, we played out there at the Maker's Mark cocktail party, and it, they had big tents out there out at the distillery, and uh, sold two thousand tickets. What? All the bourbon you could drink all night. <laughs> All the, I think all the hors d'oeuvres and the desserts all were made with bourbon. Yeah, it, that's it was right. like a, a bourbon night. Uh, you know, it was, uh, if you like, if you like bourbon, it was a good night and everybody was ready to have fun. And man, we had a professional sound guy with the top of the line equipment, you know, big subwoofers and lights. And, you know, we felt like stars. Well, so, and the more bourbon we drank, the bigger but, stars we were. I was going to oh, say, yeah. y'all probably sounded better and better, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, but they, they, don't, they don't worry about measuring pores at a bourbon uh, cocktail party, do they? No, no, yeah. no. I wouldn't figure. I think that would be one of my tops. Yeah. So that Easy's was my bar gig, Maker's Mark cocktail party was definitely, uh, you know, the best when you talk about parties and corporate events. We played everything from free benefits so Larry Bond always made fun of me. He said, I'm great at finding free gigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the to the maker's mark. But we also had some uh we had some good uh gigs and played with good company at the Waterfront Park. Yeah. So we played two Wednesday nights at at Waterfront Park and you know, we opened up for Thompson Square and the McClymonts. McClymonts, that Australian, yeah, Australian trio. Group. Yeah. Yep. Wait, then, will you uh, say that one more time? McClymonts? I don't think that's it. <laughs> hey, Alexa. No. <laughs> <laughs> McClymonts. That's it. it. Were those uh, the independence festivals? No. That were those are Wednesday uh, no, waterfront Waterfront things. Wednesdays. And then the... No, this, no, this, no, this, this was, was the July the 4th. That was the yeah, city. The city yeah. put on the With July the, the 4th. big fireworks fest, all that big yeah, crap. It, it's awesome. It, yeah, it was a... Uh, I think it was all done by the city. And wait, I remember a, a, a Iroquois Amphitheater gig too. Yeah, Iroquois Amphitheater. We opened for Ambrosia. Yes, I remember that one. That okay. was uh, the big tornado. Was it Oklahoma? Yes. Yep. yes. Yeah, that was a benefit for for them. I played with Ambrosia. That was pretty cool. And uh, another big, probably the Louisville cover band, the uh, Caribou. 
Mm-hmm. So Caribou was there that night. Mm-hmm. They were a great group of guys. Oh yeah, all of them. Yeah, all yeah. of them involved. Isn't that great? When yeah. you meet people that are their music's good, but they're even better. Yeah, it's like, dude. And they've been playing. Golly, they. Uh, it seems like they were doing like high school proms when I was in high school. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They've been around for a long time. In I Louisville. think they're even older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. We must have done all right when we uh, when we opened up for Thompson Square. That Thompson was 2012 because we got invited back the next year well, and, and it that, opened for Justin Moore. And Thompson Square is now big, man. They have one yeah. of the biggest songs in you know, mm-hmm. 2019 or 2018. It, it was, yeah, so they're 2019. Yeah. Yep. So then we came back and Justin Moore in the farm. Yeah, in the farm. Yep. That's awesome. So that was, that was uh it's great times. Yep. So the the Maker's Mark cocktail party, that was 2016 or 2012? I don't recall. I think it was 2012. No, I'll yeah, tell you I, what. it wasn't 16. <clears throat> I'll yeah. tell you what it is. It must have been a good night if you can't remember what year it was. <laughs> That's a lot of bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> so um I think that the big the big thing is, is something that probably uh, Larry Bond saw and that everybody saw when they watched you guys was how much fun and how much joy you got out of playing music. I mean, it's infectious. That's why people love your love when you play music. There are a lot of people that just like music like us and that can listen to pretty much anything. But for the average person, for them to go out and stand in a line. Uh, to get into a bar to watch you or to do and once they're in to for that to be infectious and then to get involved and dance and do those things it's about what what what's the feel what's the energy what's it feel like for me that's one of the coolest experiences about music is like it's so such an infectious feeling so nights like that nights like when larry came and saw you guys for your first real gig out and wanted to be a part excuse me Larry Bond uh, came out <laughs> and wanted to be a part of it. It's because it's, so, it's you see the joy when you guys play. So I think that's a big part of that. I think it definitely is. And just you go see a lot of bands and they're performing, but it's kind of like they're not there. Yeah. And that's one thing I can say about you know watching you. You you just enjoy playing music. If and that's what Old to the New had is. You know, we didn't have any people thinking that they were going to be a big star. Yeah. And, you know, there was, it, we all meshed together. It yeah. was just a real good feeling. And yeah. Uh, yeah. when the music started playing, we were all relaxed. Yeah, well, yeah. I think personally for me that's been a process. I think I'm just getting to the point where I actually enjoy it yeah. and, and can uh, relax a little bit. It's been, that, that's been my struggle. Um, and when we get toy in here, I'm sure we'll talk about that. I mean, that was part of the reason we stopped playing together. A lot of that joy that you're seeing now is pretty new. I can go watch other people and love what I'm seeing and not not even critique what's going on, but have that inner battle with, I want to be better than that. I want to be. It's not about that. I mean, there's enough for everybody. It's about the music. It's about the, just the, like I said, the joy and the infection and the energy that's brought and so I'm just really kind of getting to the point where I can do that. So thank you, oh, but I still got a long way to go. I think everybody uh, can, you know, probably feel that a little bit and understand that it's it's uh, easy to be selfish when when you watch other people as an artist and uh, getting over that's been getting over yourself is kind of hard sometimes. So yeah. I'm, I'm getting there with that. When you, when what was your first instrument? Was your first instrument a bass? Because I'm hearing you're kind of like Brad. Your first instrument had nothing to do with strings. No, that's right. Shoot, I can go back even before that. Do that. 
And the reason I can is because I was talking to my brother today after you guys invited me up to kind of talk about this topic. And uh, he reminded me of, I said, you know, I need to think back about what really turned me on about music. Well, I'm going all the way back to uh, when I was a kid, both of us. My mom and dad took us to uh, a movie house, and it was a cozy theater. And I think it was on 3rd Street. That was the name of it, or, or was, it was that, cozy? That was, yeah, <laughs> it was cozy, and it's also the it was, name of it. But so down here in Louisville, Kentucky. From Louisville, yeah, okay. and uh, Elvis Presley had a movie on Okay. And so my mom was a big Elvis fan. Do you remember the movie? I believe it was Love Me Tender. No kidding. Yeah. All right, classic. So after that, Butch and I, when we got home, we went back in his bedroom, and we stood in front of the mirror, and he got a brush out like a microphone and started singing one of Elvis's songs. And then he had me the mic, and then I would, I think I was like nine years old. No kidding. And I'd start singing it, singing a song. And so how many kids do that? <laughs> I mean, no that, kidding. that happens everywhere. Yeah, I yeah. Bet my parents probably thought, we've got some weird kids. <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, so that, that was kind of the start. And then uh, when I was in the fourth grade, I wanted to play an instrument in the band. I went to Fairdale Elementary. Okay. And uh, was my grandfather your principal? And your grandfather was my principal. How about that? And so I went there and. Uh, I was born in a small town. <laughs> <laughs> so, to make a long story short, my, my mom and dad, you know, they were, had three boys and it was at an expensive time in their life, as all families are mm -hmm. when they have a family, raising a family. But my dad said, Well, I'll tell you, he said, I've talked with your mom and we're going to buy you a trumpet. And he went out, both of them went out, and they bought me a brand new con director trumpet, which was not cheap. And they paid on it by the month. And they probably had uh, a sacrifice to do that, they too. They did. They did. And I, and I think about that now. You know, mm -hmm. I thought about it then, but I, I really took care of that thing. But I played the trumpet from uh, the fifth grade up to the ninth grade. I played in the band at Fairdale uh, I was the first trumpet in Fairdale for one year, and then sports got involved, And but I was also playing in a band. Didn't were, have much time. Were you playing bass at that point? <clears throat> no. Uh, I was singing, okay. doing vocals. Okay, is this a doo-wop band? Uh, this was uh, the Ultratones. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was I a doo-wop band. I think we need to go ahead and get, get well, into we that. We need to get into that. So so you went from playing trumpet uh, from middle school to, or elementary school to, to ninth grade, stopped, when did you start with the ultratones? Um, I was 13. Okay, so and, about the time? Uh, about seventh, last part of the seventh grade. And how that came about. <clears throat> I'll tell you how that came about. Girls don't dig trumpet. <laughs> well, <laughs> the trumpet came back in with the ultratones later on. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. So, but uh, my brother, he was with the ultratones first. He, they needed a backup singer. Well, I've had years backing up my brother in his bedroom, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So he told the manager of the band, he said, uh, I think I'm bringing my brother in. He said, we'll try him out. So uh, the manager was a guy by the name of Sonny Evans, and he back, was a backup singer. Did a few vocals. So I started backing uh, Andy up with Sonny Evans, and that's what I did from uh, probably 63 to 64, about a year and a half. And uh, we played a lot of places because uh, Ultratones at that time, they were a club band. 
How many how many pieces were in the Old Town? What was the makeup of it? Well, we had a drummer, uh-huh. uh, lead guitar, uh, bass, saxophone player. Ooh, okay. And uh, now you all had a song called Sappy Sax or something like that, or Sassy Sax or uh, Locomotion. Okay, that was pretty the close. That was yeah, that was an <laughs> instrumental. But we also on the flip side, it was the sister of the girl I once loved, yeah. and we did that back in. Uh, on Barstown Road, a fellow had a, a garage, and he converted that into a studio. And so we went to this garage, and everybody, you know, played at the same time. That's it. And I'm in that process with this room right now. That's right. We kept going until we got it right. And back in those days, like you were saying, you play it all the way through until you get it right. You played it all the way through. It's on tape. And you live with it. There is no there's no overdubbing, there's no splicing in anything. You play it and it's done. It's done. So Oh wow, yeah. We recorded the the sister of the girl I once loved in locomotion in a garage on Barstown Road and uh under the Gary label. And uh I think Musonic uh publishing is the one that was tied in with BMI on that. It, it was it was an experience. So I was I was fourteen at that time. So, and then we played at Lee's Cocktail Lounge, and I was fourteen. So I had to stand on the stage. So, I couldn't get off the stage. <laughs> now at that time, so there were like local charts or local. So was the Billboard one hundred around then? Well, how old is Billboard one hundred? You know, I don't know that. But, I know that. There was some local. There was WAKY was yeah. a radio station and WKLO. So did you guys hit the charts on with the, with the Sister of a Girl I Once Knew? Well, yeah, there's a story behind that. Or Sister of a Girl <laughs> I Once Loved, right? Sister of a Girl I Once Loved, yeah. Okay. No, uh, what happened, those two radio stations, they were tied in with some agencies. And there was a talent agency called Sambo that was founded by the bass player and the lead guitar player with the Carnations, Ray Allen and Hardy Martin. Allen and, Martin Studios? Yep, that's the ones. Okay. And so they started Sambo. And our manager, I mean, they approached us about uh, getting tied into Sambo, and they would help us out and promote our record and get us gigs. I already know where this is going. I think you guys said, hey, oh, no. And the manager, we didn't. The manager, Sonny Evans, <laughs> said, we are not going to do that. They'll just take our money. So we were kind of blackballed. I mean, we had, we played a lot, but our record, they played it on the radio, you know, maybe once every two days or something. But it, it never did get to charge because we were not in the agencies that they were dealing with. They were yeah. trying to force us. But Pay to play, man. Pay yeah. to play. You so got to pay to play. What year was this? Do you remember the year? Uh, I would say around 62, okay. 1962. Because I was just thinking, uh, Cindy, my wife Cindy, her uncle, mm-hmm. Johnny Hurrigan. So uh, he, he was, was one with of the, my favorites. He was with the Trendells and didn't, so they, they recorded Night Owl about that same time, didn't they? Yes. And they were, um, they were with Sambo. That's kind of unique because the way I understand it, the Carnations were, they were primarily an instrumental band. And they would hook up with singers, uh, 
Trendales. They they tied in and grouped with uh, made a partnership with Trendales. So so Night Owl record that that record was national. They they signed with Capital for that. I remember yeah. hearing uh, Cindy's uncle Johnny Hergan talk about that. Were they were the Trendales probably the band to make it the biggest on a national level out of Louisville? No, I think the, there were several. Were there? Yeah, there were several that you know had a song playing nationally. Okay. Now, I don't know if they had. Maybe their song was made the charts higher than some of the others, but there was also uh, an individual by the name of Paul Penny. I don't know mm, if you've ever yeah. Paul Penny. Paul Penny. He was uh, he was big around that time, um, and so they they kind of played together. They there were several dances. I mean, the Carnations played a lot of teen dances. There was the FOP dance. There was the Bella Louisville. Uh, there was Newman Hall back then. Uh, there was just a whole lot of activity in Louisville at that time with recording as well as bands. Would you credit Sambo with uh, getting this out to a national audience? Or, I mean, what was bringing the attention to Louisville bands? Well, was it Sambo tied into BMI, which made them more of a... Now, that I, I couldn't answer that. I, I know the Sambo was instrumental in helping local bands get known. You know. If there's any Sambo guys around, we might have to invite them to <laughs> yeah, come up here a, and talk. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So I got I got a sidebar question about the recording. Um, this is not the first recording studio on this hill, which you may know. Right, Ray so, Fultz. On Golf Lane, right? Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to record there? Uh, I didn't. Did but, Were you but ever Andy, there? Yeah, Andy recorded there several times. Do you know anything about that place? It was it was a nice studio. See, I've was, heard stories about that place, but I've never seen a picture. I've just said, I've heard, hey, so the other house there used to be a recording studio. Somebody like Dwight Yoakam or somebody recorded there. I mean, there was a legend of somebody. Uh, there's, uh, they had several come up from Nashville. To record at Ray Fultz Studio. No kidding. Yeah. Ray Fultz and Studio. I think if anybody's if you, listening out there, if you, you know, if you got any names that you can uh, uh, let us know, or so, let Neil and Brad know. So was yeah. he the owner and engineer, I assume, of it, the place? It was his house. Okay. And he just loved music. But he, I don't think he ever played. I don't think he ever, I mean, I may be wrong, but I don't think he was ever involved in a, a band. But he wanted to record music. And I believe, no, I think he had an engineer. Uh, he, I don't think he did it. That's I think great. he started out doing it. So he's just loved it. Oh, the, you wouldn't believe the, the equipment. That's... And uh, Times Unlimited, they played, they recorded there with Andy. And I was there at that time. Really? So, yeah, made a, a, a real nice, real, they did a real nice job. And I'm sure there's a, a record out there. <clears throat> that the times oh. unlimited with that record, uh, you know that actual studio recording on there. Well, I don't, I don't know if Times ever had a song or uh, recording with them, but they record. They were the band recording with my brother. But he has an actual. Uh, I bet he has an album from there. I, uh, has I think to, right? most of his was demos. He was doing demos because at oh, that time man. he was trying to get into Nashville. And, as a writer. As a singer. Says the same. And, and a writer. Yeah, he's a writer. Uh, and sure. he, he ended up having uh, about four or five singles under the NSD label in Nashville. That's so awesome. so what time frame, what year are we looking at when all this is happening? Is this still, are we still in the 60s or are we in no, the 70s? No, it was later. It was probably in the late 70s. So when did, when did country music really start taking off in Nashville? Do you know? Was that... 
Well, I, I, I don't know that. I do know that if things were handled right locally in the city of Louisville, uh, that we could have competed, in my opinion, you know how they, they what they say about mm-hmm. opinion. But in, in my opinion. What do they say, Neil? I don't know. I don't know. What do they say? <laughs> I'm trying to be nice and clean. I think in, 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 uh, at this podcast, opinions are like drinks and everybody has one. So, yeah. Except for yours. Yours is an N.A., I've got to yeah. tell you. But but it, uh, there were so many bands, so many recording studios. Uh, there were people at agencies, what Triangle Talent? I think they are an offspring of some of mm-hmm. the original. But there were so many groups. Uh, they have a book out. And I brought it here tonight uh, that was put out several years ago called Louisville's Own, and it has a lot of the '60s and the '70s, even the '50s. Who uh, who's the author of that book? Do you by Brenda and Bill Woods. Brendan Bill Woods, yeah. Louisville Zone by Brendan Bill Woods. Yeah. So we may have to. Yeah, it's we may a, have to talk about a history lesson. You have those one of those guys on here. If they're yeah, still it's tell it. it's really uh, informative. But if Louisville really aggressively went after that, we were more rock, doo wop mm-hmm. and rock in Louisville, where Nashville was country. But I believe we could have competed. Uh, I mean, you would have been known in Louisville, and I'd like to see that happen now. Well, I was getting ready to say, look, I'm not in, I wouldn't call uh, what I am by any means in the scene, but I do know right now the Louisville music is so good. It's so talented from uh, original rock stuff to, you know, like uh, even Jack Harlow of the world who. That bottle came from the Harlows, by the way. Uh, there, there are uh, there are just so many talented artists. Uh, Bryson Tiller. I mean, there's just locally right now the bands are unbelievable, unbelievable. There's an article in uh, in the Leo this week that mentions just a list of unbelievable bands. I mean, White Reaper right now, who's play, who just played on Kimmel a couple of days ago. I mean, that's that's the type of stuff that. Yeah. Is is going around? It's awesome. It's really really cool. To I think that what you're saying may come to some type of fruition if if it can be captured. The good part about Louisville is it it is a little bit of that keep Louisville weird vibe with the Austin Texas type of atmosphere, but it's its own little thing with the type of Nashville connection and and closeness. So it it brews this special type of musical energy i think i think that's what makes it so original what makes it so attractive to people that aren't that are from here and even aren't from here it gives it such a national ear because it is such a blending pot of taste from like we talked about last week when i was talking about writing and being so scattered it's just because i think that that's what a lot of people that grew up around I think for me anyway, this city do. It's just they they like that bluegrassy country, southern rock vibe, along with blues, along with hard rock, along with just everything. I th- and I think that Louisville tends to, I don't know, promote that type of openness when it comes to creativity and art. I don't know, but it just seems different. Well, it's been it's been happening a long time too, because yeah. you know I know I know the Ultratones. You guys played at a place called Club Sixty Eight. Yes. And a place called the you Golden Club sixty eight and the Golden Horseshoe. One, I played one time, but the uh, Ultratones, they were there several times, and the Horseshoe. So wow. you know, 
when I started digging into that a little bit, it is crazy what was going on in Lebanon, Kentucky at that time. I mean, like, it was the place. I, I, I just wrote down when I started digging into it. You know, it sounds like, so you had the Golden Horseshoe and you had Club 68. There was Club Cherry. And then there was the Plantation yeah. mm-hmm. and the Kitty Cat. And these are all, like, on a strip Right there in Lebanon, which Lebanon is only like four square miles. It's a it's a little and it is a, it's a little in city. In Marion County, right in the middle of Kentucky, right in what is called the center, the actual center but let point me, in Kentucky. Uh, let me just read these names that in they the played. '60s played. Nobody, nobody will know these '50s, names. '60s, and '70s that played in Lebanon, Kentucky. Hey, start with the ultratones. The Ultratones. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I like that. Ike and Tina Turner, Bo Diddley, B.B. King, Etta James, Fats Domino, Otis Redding, James Brown, Jimi Hendrix, Little Richard, Sam and Dave, Ray Charles, Jackie Wilson, Wilson Pickett, Jerry Lee Lewis, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Nat King Cole, The Platters, Steppenwolf, The Supremes, Hank Williams Jr., Chubby Checker, Kenny Rogers, Barbara Mandrell. I mean, it just keeps going. I heard and that uh, Tutti Frutti, the, the person that that was written about, Lived in Lebanon, Kentucky. Did you hear that? I saw that. I, I saw, saw that. that. Oh, is that right? I yeah. didn't know that. So, yeah. so Little Richard wrote that song about somebody <laughs> so that lived he, in Lebanon, So Little Richard Kentucky. must have met him a lady named Tootie. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> or a dude named Rudy. You know, back then, you just never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, 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 Bamboo, man. <laughs> well, you know, it makes you think what happened to it. You know, it's, what it's, like, it's like with Louisville. You know, why, why did it just, I mean, I know there's a lot of bands now, and, and I'd like to see it, it yeah, come but back. Still. But what happened to Lebanon that they could have somebody, I mean, these groups like that, and then it stops. It just I stops. Think, I, I personally think it's it's about ownership. What Who owned the places that attracted those those people to drive through was it a family was until what happened to make that because it was it looked like it was about a four decade three or four decade run and then it was done i think well kentucky is very conservative yes and when things start blowing up like that you've got to be ready to move and make some changes and Mm -hmm. when you live in a conservative area Sometimes change takes time, and then by that time, it's moved on. you've somebody it. that's ready to go, like Nashville or Memphis, or you know that you've missed the window. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know it's a. Uh, but can you believe? I mean, you think about Lebanon now, and that place was popping. It was a place to be. Now I did read too that it was like the only. It was like an alcohol oasis in an almost entirely dry state. Uh, okay. <laughs> now you're talking. Okay. Now that makes, that makes a little bit more sense as why it would be the spot. But there was also, so Club Cherry, too, was apparently like one of the first black clubs in this area mm-hmm. that had a lot of black artists in. Well, and you, so, look, you look at the, the names on that list. I mean, yeah. James Brown. You said James Brown and followed it by Jimi Hendrix. And I just, my only thought was... We should have paused between that. I mean, goodness gracious. So I think there's an interesting story there. I think Jimi Hendrix was was Little Richard's guitarist. Yes. Oh, is that I right? Think that's, I think that's um, how Jimi Hendrix, I don't think he was playing as a solo artist there at really? that time. Really? Yeah, I think he, he just was with Little Richard. So like, yeah. But he was in town. But he was still in the show. <laughs> I guarantee Little Richard was probably Come like, on. boy, <laughs> you're, you're fine. I bet that was rocking, though. Yeah. Yeah, could you imagine? know another connection that we haven't talked about to uncle butch is uh his wife sharon yeah oh so, yeah so my aunt sharon she she recorded with dot records dot right records. national label yeah i think she started out with uh 
another label. I can't remember what it's called. But, uh, yeah, then she was with uh, Dot Records and did a lot of touring. Do you remember her any titles of her songs? I, I know my son has the the record on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's downstairs. She has made the, it's the downstairs. Wall of oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, but I don't, I don't, I don't know the. Song. I tell you what, she probably has some good stories. So they're out there on YouTube. On there. You know, some of the some of the music historians out there. You can find her music on YouTube. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's yeah. uh, you know, we might have to play some of those. Well, you can get, uh, you can also get on uh, YouTube and get the. Uh, under the Gary label, the sister of the girl I once loved. So I got, no I've got one more family and, connection. And Sharon's song on there. Or she had several songs. Yeah. Talked about Cindy's uncle, Johnny. That's on her mom's side. Well, on her dad's side, she has her uncle, Stevie, mm-hmm. who was a member. He was the drummer. Was a blind piano player. Uh, played uh, Stevie Wonder. I've heard of it. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, okay. no. He uh, he was in a band called the End Tables. Yeah. End Tables. And what happened, so just a few years ago, Uncle Stevie got a call, and the End Tables, for whatever reason, took off for a few years in Japan. And he was starting, and, and, and they got, and they signed, and somebody asked permission to play their music, and he started getting getting checks. Really? He yeah. loved that, I bet. Yeah, yeah, from his records selling in Japan. He made like it. Like 40 years later or whatever. How crazy It is was that? crazy. So he, he was with the end tables. I would feel successful if that happened to me. Yeah. I'd be like, I finally made a bomb. Oh, you're successful now. Thank you. I'm a... So that's another if you want to, if you you can you can find some uh they actually have some old videos on like those super eight cameras uh-huh. like of them playing in some art school you that do was that? downtown. How did go? That's pretty oh, good, man. Right. You could probably do that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> So well I tell you what now let's get into uh we've covered some of this this past stuff. Now you were a part of the original recording of There She Goes, correct? Yes. So yes. Let me ask you a question. If Brad gives you the call and says, "Hey, I, I got, I got an idea. I'm gonna put together this little studio. I got this song," and you come up, are the drums laid down? What, what has started on the process when you get involved? Well, if I could, I'm gonna back up a little bit. No, you can't do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, this song, there she goes. I think you had written that like 20 years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when we played, we used to play as with cousins and uncles and stuff. And when we were jamming, we'd always, it was always requested, go to a campfire. And I think you even mentioned that mm-hmm. uh, the last time. And so it, it was a well-known song, I mean, to, to the family and to some of the people that play music with us. But uh, then when he called and said, uh, you know, hey, Dad, I think, uh, I think I'd like to try to record this song. And, well, I was, I was ready to go. But the first thing he was going to do, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you uh, a demo or something of just his voice with uh, the rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. you'd already laid the click track down at this point? Yeah, so I sent him, I sent him just, uh, that's what we talked about last week. I played the acoustic with a click track and laid some rough vocals. Okay, and, and I did have a, for the for the complete amateur, a click track is basically a, that keeps you on time. Yeah. So when you have a recording, your, your software, or if you have a metronome of some sort, it keeps your time. So once you record, say, Brad's guitar and vocals, when he passed that off, 
to to Ron and says, "Hey, listen to this song." He sends it and he can send that click track, and that click track can be pulled out of the recording, and then you have the recording with everybody playing on time. So it's all about keeping your time, and you can do things in separate parts because you have a timed metronome that you can do things on. Right. Okay. Sorry. Right. So he uh, he sent that to uh, Lee Reinhardt. You and Lee, I think, at the same time, yeah, didn't I? at the same time. And he said, uh, Lee's going to work on the drums. And he said, how about working a bass part up? And I said, okay. So that's what I did. I just kept uh, kept trying to get the feel that I thought he would want or what he said he would want with, with, the, with the bass. And then Lee did the same thing. And then Lee came over and recorded uh, his part, the drums. So when he was playing this song and around bonfires or whatever sitting around where did you have an acoustic bass that you would play with them or was you no i don't think i really did i might have a couple times yeah, you'd, you'd played with it before but but what i did you know your fire you, i would just play by ear yeah something to fill it in you know yeah. i mean it wasn't uh i'm an ear player i'm you know i know mm-hmm. how to read music but yeah i play bass by sound so did you have when you knew he wanted to do this did you have something in mind going in or were you completely open to no. figuring out exactly what you wanted yeah or was, what he wanted or what yeah i was open I, I i talked to brad and i said you know we knew that the song was kind of on the dark side, you know, emotional. And mm-hmm. and so in talking with him, I didn't have any idea. It's just what I felt would be right that he would like. And and so uh, before I came up to record it, you know, I sit down with him and then played it, and he kind of liked it. And so he had the drummer come up. And well, I think once Lee set down the, the, that track, he sent that with the voice, and then I would practice with that to make sure it was right before I came up re- and recorded. Is that the way you remember? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, we did the drums first and then bass. Then we sent that out and asked everyone to think. You know, the thing with There She Goes, I kind of had an idea in my mind what it wanted to sound like. So I would kind of tell them, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Do do what you think. So, like, you know, I think the only thing I told Dad at this time was, was uh, just I wanted to keep the bass line simple. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and I said the same thing with Lee. You know, simple drums. I want to keep the song pretty simple. Lee wanted to put, uh, you know, look at thinking, looking back at it, he wished he'd put a lot more turnarounds and things in it. But yeah, but he, uh, I like the way it turned out. Well, and like you said uh, last week, you start listening to it, you're gonna nitpick and do all these things. Go, oh, I should have, I could have, I did. I, oh, I wish we could, re- you know, if we were recorded it now, how much better would it be? But that's where yeah. it was. That's where it is. And then. Yep. You know, that's what kind of makes it when you when you walk away from it and go, yeah, yeah, but that's what it is. And it makes it special because of that. And to her was granted everything as to see that's clean and white. And the light of a candle shall shine no more She had a name she'd never written And that few men even knew And a childhood that had carved a voice That would speak when only spoken to And the time has come for her to walk down the path 
We, uh, one of the things I remember we were talking, we wanted the song to build up from start to finish, you know, so, so we just started with, you know, we had the, you could hear there, we had the 12 string in the background, and then we had a uh, second acoustic guitar and just the vocals, and right there where I stopped it, that's where the b- bass first comes in. Right. And we made, if I remember right, we made that change... <clears throat> After listening, uh, we, the bass came in a lot earlier before, and we thought it would be good just to have have it open up with just a couple guitars and the vocals and have right. the bass come in. Yeah, I mean, if, especially if you're building the song, you definitely want yeah. to be able to layer it. Yeah. So, and the 12, the 12 is so big already. Yeah. You got the 12, you got 18 strings going, you don't need four more at that point, mm. especially if you're looking to crescendo into something huge. I think he just didn't like my playing. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, record, the recording aspect of it. That's uh, you know that acoustic guitar was uh, one of the first things that that I learned as a as being brand new to recording is how to take advantage of the space. You know, panning left and right, mm-hmm. and you can hear that acoustic go back and forth, like from one phrase to the next. And it almost sounds like two separate guitars. It's. Uh, Do you have one dedicated? Or is it because you're playing a, a 12 and a six string, right? Yeah. Are both of them being panned? No, the 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 12 string. I don't think I had those both centered. I think they were maybe about 30 or 35 out left and right, but mm-hmm. I had them on both sides. But if you listen to the acoustic, it's just left and right. It'll go back and forth, and it kind of oh cool yeah, it kind of gives it. A, it sounds like two guitarists, and cool. then. Uh, and then we had the, uh, you know, right before we stopped there, we have the uh, bass and background vocals coming in right away. Yeah. So here we go. Yeah, it gets big real quick. And the time has come for her to walk down the path of those before. Tears stream down her mother's face as she's walking out the door. There she goes. So that's that's a good build, especially leading into your first chorus. You got your, you know, the harmonies come in, get big. Yep. Like so it. so we got the drums come in, and I, I don't know what we talked about at well, the, the interface ask, last time, but I've got two channels. He didn't put you into a. He didn't make you suffer in here, did he? He at least just put the bass amp inside this. Oh no! It, yeah, he just put the bass. I don't even think the bass was in the. We had the amplifier outside, Ooh. and he just. We put a cover over it. <laughs> Did you? We threw we threw a moving blanket over the yeah, over yeah. the app and the microphone. We have the drums. My interface is two channel. Yeah. So uh, what we did was we used an eight channel mixer and um, ran that into one of the channels, and we had the kick, the snare, all the toms on one channel. And then we had two overheads on the second channel. <laughs> so it said, you look at the tracks, it said drums, and it said overhead drums. So once it was laid down, it was done. You couldn't, there wasn't much adjusting. Well, so I had to get, I, I didn't get have as much um, low end on the kick as I wanted. So I went through and duplicated the track and deleted everything but the kick drum. <laughs> Yeah, that took a while. Oh, and, you know, gosh. and there's probably some, and, and I'm sure, you know, with what I know now, and this is something I got to study up, I'm sure there's some way I could have maybe used a 
gate of some type on that track just to pull the kick pull out. Everything. Yeah, pull everything. But I got a lot to learn about how to use gates and yeah. Well, so. when you have a sixteen channel or something like that, you won't have to worry about that ever <laughs> <Yeah>. again. <laughs> so I ended up I ended up pulling the kick out and and I duplicated that twice and one I gave some low end and the other I gave I gave some uh, attack. To really give a make the kick sound good. And really for what it is, man. I mean, for using having to do it like that, the drum sounds sound fine. Yeah, let's play it. go into the first little break there i had a lot of discussion on the uh how to handle that that's one of the things that's really i enjoyed about doing this project is that uh, toy and brad and i would sit in here and you would just spit out ideas or you'd hear something and someone would hear one thing well what about trying this and mm-hmm. what about trying that and uh, that's that's the fun. If that's, you're relaxed, that's the fun. You're not worried about making any mistakes. It's a it's a the the what about this game? I love the what about this game. Oh, check this out. What about this? You all you like yeah. this? What about this thought? Um, so one thing we learned right off the bat was there's got to be something out front catching your attention in every second of a song. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't have anything that just kind of blend. Like like as soon as as soon as the vocals drop off, something has to pick up your attention. As yeah. As or, or at least that's what we felt like. So when we we first listened to this break, we thought, man, it's kind of bland. There's nothing happening. So so that's where we decided to throw some uh, piano in there. Yeah. So that's, mm-hmm. that's I think we're if I remember right, we're getting ready to hear some piano here. Yeah. Yeah, so like that's that. uh, that that's you know you can do that. Did toy lay that down? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You can do that by panning left and right. You know, so so I've got if I remember right, I think both these, uh, the piano was panned out at fifty, and uh, you know maybe the guitar was like at seventy five or something. So you know, it's it's crazy how you know you wouldn't think panning would create that space you're talking mm-hmm. about, but if you have them right on top of each other. They're kind of muddy and don't don't sound good. You, yeah. s- you spread them out a little bit on the on the full width of you know L one hundred to R one hundred somewhere in that space. You know, you talk about seeing it in front of you in a spectrum, and and, mm-hmm. and when you can hear it like that, it makes a big difference. It it's it's more visual for your ears if that makes sense. You can close your eyes right. and see what's right. going on in front of you instead of just have this mass of sound coming at your face. So I watch some YouTube videos like we all do nowadays and they, and they actually <laughs> DIY, talk man. they actually talk about that. You know, think about when you're watching a band. You know, the drums usually in the center of the stage, lead singers usually in the center of the stage and everybody else is and so I kind of I thought that way at first, but it didn't sound its best that way. Just started moving things till we had them where they mm-hmm. sounded good. Yep. So now we get into the second verse. <laughs> <laughs> 
said it gives you something to kind of draw your attention to and it's done so uh nice it's not you know there's a lot to be said about not overplaying right uh to to just sit in the pocket and play what's supposed to be played instead of what you want to show off uh it's kind of like what we were talking about uh, last week a little bit with with even writing i mean it's just about sometimes you just need to say what needs to be it's saying instead of Make up, interpret whatever you want to say, and then music. I think music, I think, is a lot like that, and especially with instrumentation. Sometimes to sit and play something that's just pretty and makes sense, right? And, and that's and draws your ears to it when there's those spaces. That's that's a big part of why that sounds so good. So that's you know that's one thing that Toy really brought to the song, and he, and he brought to the band too. Oh. I mean, you know, you've played mm-hmm. with him; he's extremely talented, but Toy, I think he would much. He, I think he would rather make other people sound good and help other people sound good. You know, he's like <laughs> he he's like, like one that. of the most humble musicians I've ever seen. He you is. know, and he so he. I mean, he uh, and he gives he gives uh, feedback and 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 uh, advice in uh, in a way. You know, it's uh, he's he, never forceful with his no, with his. No. Hey, here's what you should do. It's well, that sounds. You know, it's just he's very complimentary to what you're doing. Instead we, of being and, yeah. forceful with, which sometimes. Well, what's be. good about him also is that he's pretty. He he would yeah, <laughs> especially when it, my wife loves his long black curly hair. When he has, yeah. that, when he has the locks. Yeah, yeah. When he has the, the locks, locks and the smile. But you know, yeah, even you know. when he uh, is Stay away from going to be going to be critical, yeah. he he's he's very honest about. Mm. You know, I, I just don't think that that fits or something. And, not, and that's what you need. You need to be able to be with a group of guys that when you're making music that, that you can give and take. And, and, and nobody gets offended by this or that. And, and no, he, he doesn't at all. You know, I was just it, when you were saying that, you remember the first. So, so we're getting ready to come into uh, an electric guitar break. And I kind of left it open and asked Toy just to work something up. Well, when he came back, it just didn't. It wasn't what I was thinking at all. It was it was a lot busier than I was thinking. I was wanting to keep everything real simple. 
And I just told him that, and he was fine with it. Okay. Yeah. I'll do another one. I mean, you know, he just, there's, well, there's no, no ego there's almost That's no, the word. almost no ego. The word's ego. To, to be able to collaborate, and probably why I wasn't able to collaborate forever, is uh, <laughs> you got to set aside your ego. you got to be able to, when somebody says, hey, man, that's not that's not it. It's not because you did it. It's just because that's not, that's it's not what you're looking for. Well, in the years that I played with, certain, you know, different bands, four or five different bands, we always had people leaving, and the ones that left thought that they should have control and they should be the one, mm-hmm. the star, mm-hmm. you know. And whether it's the drummer, I mean, we had drummers leave because uh, they wanted it their way, you know. And you just, you just can't mesh like that. And and I think that happens all the way up to the ones that's already made it. Yeah. You know, they have problems, but that's that's the that's what's was good with old to the new, and that's what's good with the. Uh, with the three or four of us that worked on this song. And, you know, Ode to the New, we had two music majors. You yeah. know, we had Toy and we had Greg, who both, that was their major in college, was music. And, you know, they would bring the, a lot of that technical aspect in. And, and they're still successful in life. Yep. And they got music degrees. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> hey, I tell you, Toy, uh, one story that I can share with you, and Brad probably uh, probably elaborate on it, but it's, uh, he's... His vocals is unbelievable, and he knows backup singing. He knows how to harmonize, and, I mean, that is really strong. And he helped one of our backup singers. uh, Remember the Scottish backup singer? (laughs) (laughs) You remember? Yes. You had a Scottish backup singer? (laughs) So, yeah, so Toy was... uh, (laughs) He was helping us with our enunciation, you know, yeah. how, how to sound set certain vowels, you know, to maybe, you know, we 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 just we never did anything but live music. Where all, you know, you talked about earlier, you just go out there it's and you have sing. fun. You yeah. sang hard, yeah. and when, now when you put it on a record, uh, you know, it's it's like uh-huh. that. It's like that forever. So you know, some of the things. Uh, you know, I guess we had to change our enunciation of the way we're saying things. So he was working with us our enunciation, and he had Dad so confused by the end of the night, Dad sounded, Dad sounded like a Scottish guy. I was, I was trying to sing. It was a part of it. There she goes. You know, I was. And he said, "Now, Ron, you got to sing uh, like uh, there." He was trying to tell me how to sing there. And so I got so confused. I said, "There she goes! There she goes!" <laughs> I was inside. I was inside the booth, and I, I looked outside. Man, they had tears running down their ass. I thought, "Oh man, that was embarrassing." <laughs> All right, so let's see what we got going on. We're about three minutes in right now. To uh, right, I mean, when four, you, five seconds before that, when that acoustic guitar, that little run, it does going down. Ba-da-ba-ba. 
That's nice. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Sorry. That was a pretty good mix, too, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Just, came, just kind of came out. Yeah. You know, one thing, uh, another thing I learned with the four-part background vocals is, uh, well, a couple things, you know, through this whole, the, the, the two things that make the biggest difference starting off when you're brand new like I was, was using the whole width. And the other was levels, how levels can make such a big difference. And with the background vocals, the higher the vocal, the lower the level had to be to blend in. Well, and not only that, is, did you find it weird that every, and maybe it's just me, every time I added another layer, if I had, like, I added the first background vocal, well, the second vocal line, background vocal, changed the way the first one sounded to me. Oh, yeah. You know, you just spent however much time fixing and doing all the stuff and blending and, and, and making it sound pretty good. And then you record the next one. You listen, you go, what in the world? <laughs> this is like you're kind of talking about overdoing it and, and having uh, blown out ears. It's like, man, did I just spend too much? And, you know, you got so so when you're mixing, you know, I read a lot of stuff that said don't ever mix in solo. Don't ever solo a track and mix that way. What ended up working for me is I would solo a track to get it to where, to get like the rough finish, what I wanted to sound like. But then you got to do that final mix with everything together. If you don't, and I wasted a lot of time because, you know, we talked about how we layered this. You know, we did drums, then we did bass, then we did 12 string, then we did the other acoustics. So, and every time we did that, I would remix it. The and whole I, thing? Yeah, and I just, every it, instrument? It, it was just a waste of time. Oh it was just a waste God. of time. So, you know, I know from here on out, and I've already started with, the, like, the second song, we have laid down the drums and we've laid down the bass. Hmm. But I haven't mixed it at, at all. Uh, you know, I've, I've just, I've done... That's bare I've, bones, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I've put some effects on, on some different things to get the sound I wanted, but, it, you know, you're wasting your time because mm -hmm. it's going, as soon as you put everything on, it's going to change. All right, so we're... We wanted to build up at the end, so we've tried to. Uh, I like the high vocal. Lead like vocals up went up. Leads. Yep. So then you got the secondary vocal line coming in there, yep. right? So that, we, okay. that was your idea. That was a a great ad, yep. I think. Yeah, I think it. Uh, I Just think it helped finish layer. it off. Yeah. yeah. And they meld together there at the end. Plus, uh, we got toys. Pretty voice. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, how much of that can we? We got four minutes of, uh, of, of recording here. How much toilet you can we put on? It? Probably what really we happened is when people add another layer. <laughs> what it probably really does is when people get to four minutes, they're probably like. Gosh, why didn't that guy sing the whole song? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
you like that backup fade? I did like the fade. All right, so I, we were, I almost got outvoted on that. <laughs> when we when we go to the uh, when we record this again in the year, I've got a suggestion for the end. I wasn't here to suggest it. <laughs> Remind me next year. Next Just year. the drum. Pop, 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 pop. Just a little walk down with the drums. Well, so, so Lee, yeah. one year away. From doing that, you're thinking just like Lee did. So, yeah. so after, after said? we got it all done, Lee, he 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 never was real happy with the drums on this. He he did. He was trying to do what I was asking him to do and keep it simple. But when he listened back on it, he said, "Man, it just needs like some quick turns and some toms in here and there, you know, in there." And so, but I, you know, I kind of, you know, it's like we talked last week. I just wanted this to be our first song that we ever that we recorded. Like it is, without any changes. There it is. Well, so. with with the things you had to work with too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, as you as you go to the next song and you improve with your equipment and the quality and mm-hmm. what you're learning, and you're not running the drums from start to finish every time you yeah. redo it. I mean, that's. <laughs> <laughs> so I was telling you last week we hadn't been in the recording studio for a long time, so we. Uh, we thought Lee had to do a mistake-free start-to-finish drum run. We didn't know you could cut drums in now with this digital software. So Poor Lee. Sweaty Lee. Sweaty poor Lee. I'm sure he'll have a comment about that. Oh, yeah. oh I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So we, we need to get Lee in here. Lee and, Lee and Tony. I don't know if he'll get... Are you kidding me? You think he'll come in here again in a little bit? <laughs> he might be scared. Uh, he, yeah, he might stay at the end of that table. I will, but I ain't getting in under that tent. Well, Dad, man, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, that's quite it's all been, right. It's, it's been enjoyable. Fun. Yeah. It's been a blast, man. So we, uh, so we, what, what is the bourbon? Did we tell them what we're drinking tonight? Yeah, we did. Makers Forty Six. Makers Forty Six. How would you describe it? There, you know, are you? Uh... I like Makers. Uh, it's got a little bit of a little bit of a uh, kick to it. Not much. When it had ice in it, it was smooth as can be, and even this neat as smooth as can be. It's a sweet bourbon. It really is. You know, I got. I have to. Uh, I want to apologize for last week. You know, I, I'm not a bourbon snob, and you know, when I, I listened back to my remark about Basil Hayden, which I like Basil Hayden, and I sound like a bourbon snob. No, 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 no. You like burn, and Basil Hayden is not. It's an eighty proof bourbon. When you have an eighty proof bourbon, it's not going to get produce the burn. You're you're a hardcore burn with the bourbon. You probably like. Do you like rye? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Like some rice stuff, yeah. just depending. A little spicy taste. Mm-hmm. You know, Maker's Mark's not too far from Lebanon. L- Loretta. Loretta. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's uh right in that area. Man, there's a bunch of distilleries in that area. You man, know, we need to play there again. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I wonder about? You hear I, that, Maker's Mark? <laughs> <laughs> when I think about, I know I'm getting going back a little bit, but when I think about those those old buildings. Because a lot of times when I see old buildings, I'm like, man, what is going on in Lebanon, Kentucky with those old buildings right now? It makes me want to drive down and see that strip. Just to look at it. Just to be like, what in the world was this that got these people? And you know what we need to do? We need to find out if any of those guys that uh, ran those clubs, managed those clubs, are still alive. I love, man, what kind of history? Could you imagine the history? Yeah, I looked it up. There was a guy, the guy that ran Club Cherry. Obi Slater, I, I looked and he he passed in 2014. That's the only oh, name I could find. Oh man, I bet there's but, some. Yeah, 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 but man, that would be fun to sit and talk to them. That would that's be. Like, that's, I mean, it sounds like you know when you look at that stuff, Lebanon was the place to go. Like that's where you launched your stardom. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the names. Yeah. It looks like that was one of the regional spots. Yeah. Let me plant a seed here. Okay. I mentioned it to you, son, uh, yesterday or the day before. I've been thinking a long time. There's so many local bands just in in the Fairdale area, Uh but all over Louisville. You know, it and with the village, like the the Fairdale village is like the only true village in in Jefferson County. There's two others, but, you know, even the the property, the valuation people say this is the only true village. It would be tremendous to have something start here in Fairdale with music like Lebanon had. No kidding. You know, you can, where you can uh, have a little place, a blues band here, or uh, three or four different bars or cafes. And all we need, if anybody's listening, is some people willing to take that risk. Yeah. Because Louisville needs it. Yeah. Yeah. They need it. Yeah. So I just thought I'd throw it in. Okay. And I, tell you I thought what, for a minute you might be uh, volunteering to fund it. I thought, you were, I thought you were getting ready to tell us we're getting ready to open up a spot. Man, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Did you buy Colonial Hills? What's going on? Hey, so speaking of well, that's kind of— talk a, to your dad. I, that, well, that, yeah. <laughs> Well, Hold on, you Colonial. I want to know our Colonial Gardens. Colonial Gardens. Tell we we haven't talked about Colonial that, Gardens. Were you now Colonial Gardens that is being rebuilt right now was the uh, hot spot here, yeah, right? Yeah. Didn't like Jerry Lee Lewis play there? Well, and a bunch I, of other crazy people run through that spot. I don't know if Jerry Lee Lewis did. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis played at the Playtorium when he was like sixteen years old or seventeen. No kidding. Teen dance. Jerry Lee Lewis at the Teen Dance at the Playtorium in Fairdale, that's, Kentucky. We have to try to find it, uh, you know, to prove it, but that's what I've heard wow. most of my life. No kidding. Uh, I do know that Chubby Checker played at the Colonial Gardens. Okay. Now, see, I know Broken Arrow Band played at the Colonial Gardens, so if we get Daryl or Frank on here, we'll ask them a little bit about some of that stuff that was going on around there. I imagine that was probably the end of the Colonial Gardens run, too. Right in that time. So we talked about Trendells and Johnny Hergen. So they are doing a New Year's show this year. Are they? Trendells. The Trendells are doing a New Year's show? The Trendells, the Sultans, and the Epics. Really? Oh, yeah. uh, They've been around since 59, 66. How many of the original members do you think are in that? I think think most. Are you kidding me? Yeah. If they're still around. Really? Now, so the, where's where's that at? The Epics was they made it nationally. They they had several songs. Well, mm-hmm. You said it last, so I wonder if they're the headliners. Mm, I don't know. I would mad, imagine that the Trendells uh, they were the most popular around here. I mean, yeah. Do you people, ha- do you know where it's at? Uh, where they're playing, I don't. Okay, we'll have to look into that. But you know what? I could get Johnny Hergan on our podcast. There we go. Yeah, I've got a connection. Oh, he would love that. He'd love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before before we get out of here, I got a a question. What's going on with the arm, buddy? Tell tell us what's going on. How Uh, much longer before you're a bass player again? I tell you what, I I told Brad the other day, it's killing me. I can't pick up my bass, and now it makes me want to play more. Well, we're talking you know? about it all the time now, and then now you can't do anything. Of course you want to play. I'm playing the music. I'm playing the, some blues rock on the TV on Pandora, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'd like to just be relaxing and playing with it. I had a total shoulder replacement. Complete shoulder. Yeah. But, and, and you said when, when you walked in, it feels a, a lot better already. Oh, feels 100% better. I was... 
I put up with it for too many years, but you know, they all this uh, talk about how bad a total shoulder replacement is, you know, it scared me. But if anybody's listening and they need one, go on and get it done. So you said a couple of days after surgery, you felt like a different person yeah. anyway, huh? Yeah, the pain was gone. I mean, you're sore and everything, but that constant pain is gone. So, so. As, a, as a bass player, man, you kind of need that left uh, hand shoulder. How long have you been playing in pain? Oh, Thanksgiving Eve. It was miserable. Really? See, now I saw, <laughs> it was miserable. I saw you leaving, and but the last time I was here when we were just messing with the the second song we're going to be talking about, you you were in pain. Oh you, yeah, yeah. You, you can hardly move it. Well, I couldn't even tune my bass. You know, I couldn't reach up to it. But yeah, I'm doing fine though. I, it's great. Good. Because great. All right, and the last little thing I want to mention is uh, I have challenged uh, our, my buddy Coach T. Terrence Bruner, he is a uh, – right now he's currently the, the softball coach down at Fairdale High School. But among other things, he is a graphic designer, and he is, has a, a couple companies, Bluegrass Inks and um, Grillustrations. So I said, man – well, first he sent me a message, hey, I love the podcast. I went, you listen to the podcast? <laughs> said, yeah, I love it. And then I told him the story. Yeah, we really weren't supposed to. And if we didn't talk about it. So last week, Brad and I got together, and, and, and we were planning to talk about what we were going to do on the podcast. And about 10 minutes in, we were like, man, this is pretty good. Let's just record it. <laughs> so last week was kind of an accidental first uh, podcast anyway. So I told him about that, and he's like, oh, that's crazy, but he liked the podcast. And, and cool. I said, listen, man, can you do better than the logo that's on our page? And, of course, he can. He does all the all our Johnstone stuff came from him. So uh, Coach T is right now currently making a logo for Top Hill Recording Podcast. Coach T has a brother that swallowed a toothbrush. Oh. Excuse <laughs> <What>? me? <laughs> What? You don't have to get that deep there. What? <laughs> so, so he was uh, brushing his teeth in the shower, and I guess he had his head back getting the water, and it just went down like a sword swallower, and he ended up having to have surgery to get a toothbrush removed from oh, his. Oh, man. Yeah, he ended up on the Jay Leno show or one of those shows. Coach like that about brother? Him. Yeah, yeah. You well, didn't know that? I'm just. This podcast is all full of all kinds of useless, useless information. <laughs> Which so. end did they. They removed it out of his belly, right? Not oh yeah, it didn't go that far. <laughs> no, they like I'm they brought. It. I think they brought it back out of his mouth. I'm hoping. Oh gosh. All right, guys. Well, thank y'all. Right, we'll uh, we'll we'll get back together. We've got Christmas coming up, so we've got to try to get another episode in, but before New Year yeah. or right after New Year. Merry Christmas, you filthy yeah. animals. Merry yeah, Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to. <laughs> All thirty-five of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, all, all thirty-five of our family members that are listening. To which, this. which last week we said ten would be good. So. I was like, well, yeah. yeah, you said, man, we got like twelve. What? We? I didn't even yeah. think we knew that many people. Yeah, and hopefully some of these platforms we've uh, we've applied to will start getting us on there, and yeah, we'll see what happens. Who knows? All right, we're yeah. out of here. All right, man. Bye. Bye. Bye.